0: Yeah, professionals do not have to be always from the transport side. We need professionals that work with people, and also sociologists and anthropologists, and understand those uh, scary thoughts that people have about change. as Because that's important in order to work with the people that could be against a uh, situation or against the transformation, to talk with them, to know how to talk with them, and to know how to uh, convince them that the situation after the transformation would be much better.
1: Hi everyone, you've tuned in to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity in our communities. I'm John Simmerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your host for this podcast journey. Thanks for joining us. It's always so wonderful to have you along for the ride. That voice you just heard in the cold open was Manuel, Manu, Calvo with Estudio MC out of Seville, Spain. Manu joined me for a little video chat a couple weeks ago so that you could hear firsthand about the exciting transformation that transpired in Seville after they dropped in a nearly complete bicycle network in just 18 months. And he also gives us a helpful update on recent developments. But before we get started, please allow me a really quick moment to mention that this episode is being brought to you by the generous support of our donors and monthly Patreon patrons. For those of you who might be in a position to also help out, we have several incredibly convenient ways for you to donate. And as a special thank you for your contributions, we have Active Towns, logo hats, and microfiber, tube bandanas, also known as neck gaiters. To learn more and sign up for the monthly contributions or make a donation, head on over to Active Towns, That's activetowns.org and click on the donate button at the top right corner of the page. Thank you all so much for helping out in any way that you can. I really do appreciate whatever support you're able to provide. Okay, that's all for this quick commercial break. Let's roll right into the discussion with Manu Calvo. It's so wonderful to reconnect with you. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast.
0: Thank you, John. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, in fact, let's uh, to get us started.
1: Let's let's go way back. The very first time we met was several years ago, and it was in Indianapolis for the Places for Bikes conference. Sure. What share with the audience? Why were you all the way over in Indianapolis? What what brought you there?
0: Well, the, the point is that I got to know uh, people from the U.S. at the velocity conferences. Especially one that uh, took place here in Seville in 2011, as maybe the audience uh, know, is the velocity conference. is the uh, most important uh, cycling uh, conference in the world for urban cycling, I guess. And so I got to know some people, uh, Randy Newfield from SRAM, and then through him, I got to know some people from People for Bikes, and then uh, they were uh, they had a really great interest. And coming to Seville to see how the, the the Seville experience with the bikes developed, and and after that it all went on and on. I mean they uh, they were, as I told you, were really interested on in our experience, and then they invited me to come to Indiana, and of course I did. I mean I, I, I didn't I didn't think, not even a minute, to say yes. So uh, for me it's a it's a pleasure always to go to the U.S. and of course sharing our experience uh, in any way that it might help to other people to improve their cities and their lives.
1: Yeah, in fact, you were one of the keynote speakers of uh, one of the plenary sessions. And share with our listeners that story. Why, why was it that you were invited to come tell the, the story of your city and, 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 and sort of you know, play that out? Because it's a really fascinating story.
0: Yeah, sure. I guess uh, People for Bikes at that point was doing some study trips to Amsterdam and Copenhagen, which is great. I mean, uh, it's, uh, they have got a really good story to tell. Uh, I mean, they're the leading cities in the world for cycling, and urban cycling and urban mobility, cycling mobility in general. And But, you know, the, uh, the story of Seville was really useful for American cities because uh, we managed to... With having no bike culture in the city in the previous in previous decades, we managed to get something out of nothing, and so we went from zero percent to maybe six percent of the urban mobility doing, uh, done by bike every day, and that for the uh, American cities was really useful. It wasn't like the stratosphere, like Amsterdam or Copenhagen. It was just landed on the surface of the. Uh, of the Earth, uh, going from zero to six. So uh, for for them, it was really a good experience to, to tell. And then they told me to go there. And as a personal experience, I have to say to tell you that it was really scary, because I've never uh, talked before for hundred people maybe on a keynote, you know, in English. So for me, it was really personally really scary. But you know, I I got it. I, I, and I did it okay, I think. So I'm really yeah. happy.
1: Yeah, no, you you uh, brought the house down. I mean, people just absolutely love the story. You did a great job. And 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 I guess that was just the beginning because you continue to tell the story over and over and over again. Why do you think the story of Seville resonates so much with cities around the, the country here in the United States, um, as well as around the world? Because you have people coming in from all over the world to explore this story?
0: Yeah, sure. I guess it's the uh, the reason I just told you. I mean, we did going from nothing to 6% in just four years. And of course, today, Seville is a city where people walk a lot, also use their car a lot, and also the transit, about 15%. But... We had no bikes. I mean, we went from 6,000 trips every day to 70,000 in just three or four years. And we sort of uh, made a a comprehensive narrative of what we did in those years. We are talking about around 2003 to 2011 or so. And we, as I told you, made a sort of reasonable narrative of what we did and and the lessons that we learned in those years. And I think that narrative got really useful for the cities in order to learn how to start. And and once you start, then you you can go for Copenhagen. But uh, you need to start first.
1: So one of the things that is, I think, quite interesting about the story of Seville is that it was prompted because of an emergency sort of situation. The worldwide economic collapse had just happened. The the stars aligned and it was an opportunity for you to very quickly as a city benchmark what was going on in places like Amsterdam and Copenhagen, learn best practices and then try to implement and when you implemented, what was quite unique about it is you did it as a network. It wasn't just one-off pieces of the puzzle. You, you, you really dropped down an entire protected, separated infrastructure network in, what was it? It was like an 18-month period of
0: time, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we like to say that it just fell from sky. <laughs> Yeah, that was also uh, sort of the uh, the impression that we have right now on what we did those years. Uh, I have to tell that uh, everything was planned before the crisis. Actually, we started in 2003. We uh, designed the main or the first phase of the network, which is in Seville. In it's a, it's a mid sized city. We are talking about seventy hundred thousand people in the central city, which is the place where everything has taken place. Uh, so we, we designed about 80 kilometers network, a complete network. And uh, those are maybe the two main lessons that we learned. We needed a complete network. So the idea of the network is essential. The idea of having a proper infrastructure as a first stage, separated from traffic on the main avenues is essential. So that's maybe the first idea and the second idea which is maybe the most difficult to do is that you need it uh, on place fast enough <laughs> because it has to work as a network from the first time, from the very beginning. So it's not useful if you last maybe ten years of building this first stage of the of the network. So what we did, and in one and a half years from two thousand and six to. 2008 and then we had the crisis already we had uh, this first phase of network i'm talking about 80 kilometers we came from a situation uh, where we had 15 kilometers of unconnected pieces all around the city that you know made no difference actually so we connected those pieces and then we had a network in one and a half years and then we went from, uh, from the second stage. So we completed that network, but it was a completion. It, it, it wasn't the doing of the network. I, I don't know if, if I explained myself okay. But that means uh, that we had another 40 kilometers in the, uh, till 2010. So from 2007 to 2010, we had around and along and through the city, you can say, a network important, this idea a network, a complete network of 120 kilometers put in place. And suddenly it was just comfortable and safe to cycle everywhere, jump. And that's the idea. I mean, it's 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 so simple that it's strange why <laughs> in other cities are not doing it uh, properly because it's, it's very simple. <laughs> I mean, uh, you have to have a network, you know, I insist, and have it fast enough. And that's it. That's our, our experience.
1: Yeah, and I was just blown away uh, two years ago when I was there visiting you and exploring the the network in the city firsthand. I was blown away by just how comfortable it felt. And the indicator that really stuck out to me was that you saw so many women and children riding. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, Seville has a sort of strange... European landscape, because it's got the third biggest ancient center or historical center that's the third biggest in Europe. So uh, we are talking about a circle with two kilometers, more than a mile in diameter. And that helps us a lot because most of the city that has the people in mind are narrow streets and the traffic cannot, cannot go really fast. So there are comfortable streets to cycle and to ride and to walk even though we, we we would have had to to do uh, more um, traffic calming in that, uh, that urban area. And after that, we ha- sort of have a, a circle. We say uh, the roundabout of the historical center, as you uh, saw when you came here, it's the uh, most crowded uh, cycle path right now. We've got there 5,000 or 6,000, depending on the day, riders everywhere, every day, I mean, and then from there, cycle tracks that are radial and expand throughout the city, and then they are connected again as a spider network. Also, the shape of the network was really um, easy to design because we knew that there was a, a critical mass in that historical center where it was much more e- or much easier to go everywhere by bike than by car or even walking. And also, Seville has a really big university. So it's got lots of people and lots of of, uh, young people. So that many people uh, are also a really uh, objective public that you can target in order to get uh, cyclists from there. And yeah, uh, you said it. uh, We've gone from maybe less than 20% of women uh, cyclists to thirty eight was the last count, and actually, uh, if you take into account all, only the urban bikes and not the uh, the mountain bikes and all of that stuff, the sport bikes, we have actually more women right now. So that's an indicator, of course, of course, that the uh, network is usable, it's comfortable, and it's safe. That's that happens everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was quite impressive, and. It, it, it was very, very obvious that people felt comfortable in that environment. It's been in place now for, as you just mentioned, about a decade. So where are we at today? And what updates do you have for me and for the listeners? Since I was just there you know, two years ago, a lot has happened, obviously, in the world in, in the last year. But what's the update for Seville?
0: Well, here I have to uh, speak about three ideas. We lack the political will from 2011 to improve the network and to improve uh, cycling policies in the city. So uh, the thing sort of stopped at that point. So we've been uh, sort of really slow on improvements for the last eight or seven, eight, nine years. Uh, The second line is that we've been fighting a lot in order to um, and also doing some technical work in order to know how to improve the cycling policies in the cities because we gone we, we grew a lot in that number of cyclists in the first years but right now we're stable we're stable in around those 70 thousand trips every day and we've been uh, doing some technical work in order to uh, and also writing another uh, Cycling urban cycling plan for the next years in order to know how to improve those numbers. And there's something that came really fast uh, into the surface, out of the surface and that was that we needed to increase the capacity of the network because, because we actually had problems in rush hour in some intersections with so many cyclists. Of course we had to do more things as well as improving the intermodality with the public transit or improving or making people going or cycling to work or to school or whatever and also something really important is that in a first stage it all depends about cycling but once you have a certain level of cyclists everything starts to depend on other policies that indirectly tend to um increase that number of cyclists. Um, and referring to sustainable mobility uh, policies, you know, uh, having less car uh, parking spaces, uh, getting more space for pedestrians and transit and cycling and all that. So that depends on, on the sustainable mobility uh, policies. And the third idea, and I guess we are, we are going to talk about that a lot, is the co- COVID and the coronavirus. So lots of cities just starting started uh, three months ago to get pop-up uh, cycling paths and cycling uh, lanes. We already had it in place, so we didn't do that actually in Seville. But as a result of understanding that we are gonna need more space for pedestrians, and also that we have to match the really ambitious objectives of the European Union regarding climate change, the local government actually in the last months and this is really uh, you know really now decided to uh, further increase the uh, the capacity of the of the network especially on that historical center roundabout so two days ago the works started so it's it's plain <laughs> news and we are really happy about that because that mean that means that we are improving the capacity of that bike track, that is actually the most important one, by 50%. And also and also using urban, uh, tactical urbanism techniques, which is really cheap and really fast in order to do so. That we learned from New York City, by the way. And uh, we're really happy about that. And I'm really happy about that. And uh, we are uh, closely working with the local government right now in order to get those improvements uh, done as fast as, as we can.
1: Yeah, and that's that's wonderful news, uh, Manu. And in fact, you know, when I think back to that particular cycle track, that's one of the areas where, yes, it was undersized for the number of people who were using that particular space. And it's probably it makes sense for us to address one of the key features of the network that was dropped into place in Seville, is that you did it as a two-way cycle track on one side of the roadway with the full intention that at some point in the future for certain areas where uh, the demand is there, that you could then turn that into whether you turn it into a, a unidirectional cycle track or not, I, I guess doesn't matter. But the point was, is that there's this, there was space, there was additional space that could be reallocated on the other side of the street. Is that sort of what you're seeing in terms of this most recent um, uh, approach to try to expand the network? Is that uh, going to be to jump to the other side of the street and, and add the cycle track over on that side as well?
0: Well, not yet. I don't think we are at that stage yet. Uh, what we are doing right now is to improve the capacity and to improve the wideness of that that of those uh, two-sided uh, bike tracks and bike pads. That's all we're doing right. We're, we're doing right now. I'm not sure uh, from a technical point of view about the uh, advantages of one-way uh, cycle uh, tracks. That's uh, I, I, I know an open debate into the. Uh, the uh, you know the, the the landscape of technical landscape about cycling, of course uh, that that's what, what Amsterdam of the Netherlands in general and and, and Denmark have done in the uh, in the last decades. But I think as a first stage, it's better to go for a two-sided uh, cycle track for two reasons. The first reason is because it's cheaper to go, to build, and it's uh, and the works are are much more uh, are much easier to uh, to uh, undertake. And the second reason is that you in know in, in a situation where you have uh, not that many cyclists, it's important to have them all on the same corridor in order to get some safety numbers. and And once that, that happens, I mean and also the uh, two way two-sided uh, cycle path, it's not a it's not the end of the story. I mean, you could always, as you said, to transform, that to set a cycle track into a one-sided cycle track, just building another one on the other side of the road. I mean, it's not a final stage of the of the city. But anyway, you know that could be really a maybe a more or a deeper discussion or technical sort of freak <laughs> discussion. But I guess we we did it all right that way, and and it's working. Also, I sort of feel that going from one way uh, cycle tracks is following actually the same philosophy of the uh, tra- motorized traffic and, and we, we have to think more about that because actually the roads are one way or a two-way a car track.
1: Yeah that, that, yeah
0: that's that's how it works actually for cars
1: right yeah yeah, absolutely. So with the pandemic I know here in North America you know with the not only the lockdown but also just the the transformation of many people working from home and and doing more remote work we're seeing the number of motor vehicles on the roads decreasing we're also seeing a lot of people as you sort of alluded to and mentioned that more people are uh, needing to get out of the house for some safe physical activity, obviously maintaining physical distance, main, uh, wearing masks. And they're, they're taking over the streets, essentially, because the sidewalks are too narrow to maintain proper distancing. And so we're seeing more and more people taking over the streets because the cars aren't there. Are you seeing something similar there in Seville?
0: On oh, the moments of the lockdown, that was uh, true for sure, yeah. And what's also ha- has spread out is the conscious or the conscience of that that we need to change something, and that's 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 why the local government right now just uh, decided to change and to do things and to do stuff, because they understood that people were in the need of that leisure space for walking cycling or for physical activity and i think in the coming years something is going to be really clear is that the best way to get that physical activity for health issues is to integrate that into your daily basis or basics and traveling and moving is one of them i mean if you If you think that people are getting that physical activity from going to the gym, that only works for maybe 1% of the uh, population. (laughs) But then if you tell them, just park your car 20 minutes away uh, from where you work and then you can walk for 20 minutes going back, that's 40 minutes of physical activity and your health is going to improve a lot and you got to notice that in just uh, the first month of doing it. I mean, people are, are understanding that. And what local governments and the government in general need to do is just provide that space in order for, for that to be properly and safely done. And the good thing and the good news, actually, John, as you know, is that we know how to do it. It's It's not something strange. It's not going to the moon or not going to Mars. I mean, It's, uh, we know how to do that. You guys, for example, on the transformation that in 2007, 2006 did in New York City, that was impressive and the technique that we are applying everywhere where we work about tactical urbanism and all that. And what I could say is that technically it's easy. We know how to do it, but we need to do it in a right way because I've seen things that are not properly done you know, about some designs that are really strange and not comfortable and not safe. And then that's counterproductive actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you just mentioned design. So let's talk a little bit about your firm and what you do with the Studio MC.
0: Well, I'm a sustainable mobility uh, consultant and I've been working on this uh, area for the last 20 years. Those years, people just thought that we were crazy. Uh, whatever uh, we talked about sustainable mobility and cycling improvements, because I'm, I'm coming from the uh, from the urban ecology. I mean, from, from that piece of knowledge that TEN or, or tries to get near the city, how, how to understand the city from an ecological point of view. So I just landed at this technique. It's called sustainable mobility. That it's uh, in plain in the news and everywhere right now so we've been working on that for 20 years and we we work with many cities trying to improve the urban sustainability of their urban spaces and especially giving techniques or giving solutions to improve cycling and walking and also to make a different share of the urban space which is what we like to call it public space, because it's actually it's public, even though in most of the cities, and that happens a lot in the U.S., 80% of that space is occupied by cars. So we we work on that, and it's a really good job, I have to say.
1: (laughs) After this quick break, Manu discusses the sustainable ecology and climate-related strategies of the European Union. We also talk about identifying trips of inherently comfortable, bikeable distances. And he also shares a pop-up intervention he helped organize as a parent at the school his children attend. But first, allow me a moment to say, if you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review it on the listening platform of your choice so you won't miss a single episode. And the feedback really does help. Okay, that's all for this short intermission. Let's get back up to speed with Manu Calvo from Seville, Spain. You mentioned earlier the commitment by the European Union to push forward in getting serious about the climate crisis. And so it it seems as if, I know it's been a tough, tough decade of, you know, getting advances in Seville in particular, but then globally, it seems as if cities... Are getting serious, you look at what's happening in Paris and just announced yesterday in London. I have to think that we're we're finally starting to get some momentum. Um, can you speak to that a little bit?
0: Well um, I'm not an expert on this, but as a citizen, maybe I can tell you that what I think it's happening here in Europe is that the European Union uh, has understood that the strategy for future development has to be with everything that is green or is around green and that's the strategy for, for development that they have decided to, to 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 be built if you can say that all around the European Union and to push the rest of the world in doing that from a sustainable point of view the uh, our footprint as an ecological footprint is way too big and there's only future if we lower lower it. I mean, if 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 we're getting a lower ecological footprint in the next fifteen years, so that's going to be crucial. It's of course about climate change, but I, I think it's everything has to be more with the ecological footprint as a whole. It's not just climate change. Climate change is really important. It's just one of the uh, areas where we need to work. We need to work in the integrity of lowering that ecological footprint and some people that has got the money in the world have decided that the only way that they're going to have they're going to have to uh, make more money or to make money at least a bit in the next 15 years is if they push for this green revolution and germany for example as a country i think has decided clearly on that way, that path in France, and on and, and, and the agreements that they had, we can have a ago in, in this India uh, core, the very core of the European Union. That was really clearly one of the messages that they gave. We are putting a lot of money, but we are not just putting money to do whatever we've done in the last 40 years. We need to do something different. And of course, the people who are fighting and who have been working, like me, like myself, in the last 20 or 25 years and that, uh, I think we're going to have a lot to say, hopefully. Because uh, it's it's always the risk to get in some parts that are not correct. So we are trying to, of course, we we couldn't be mistaken, of course, but uh, I think, uh, and and that's something that I always say is that the uh, correct path, meaning by correct, that it's not 100% fixed, because we need to study a lot and we are gonna, we're gonna uh, make some mistakes also. But the correct path or orientation that we need to take is sort of clear and we know what to do. It's just a matter of of political will and put the money where it's needed.
1: Yeah, yeah, And, and that political will and being able to fund it appropriately so that you can transform places into more people oriented places which then supports the concept of active mobility you know certainly in the united states one of the the one of the profound aha moments for a lot of people is to realize that a significant number of trips are very very short in nature they're they're actually very rideable from a bike ride standpoint and yet too often we just habitually choose to get into an automobile or jump on a motor vehicle of some other sort and you know that that's a trip that could easily be done by walking if it's close enough or more appropriately biking speak to to that a little bit in terms of the european
0: context yeah, well, here in Europe, the uh, cities are not that big as in the United States because we have a more a compact model, urban model, which is sort of a good model if you if you if you plan it right and if you build it right with parks and everything. And but I'll, I'll give you the numbers. In Seville, we found out recently that fifty percent of the of the car trips are shorter than five kilometers.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: So I don't know how, how much that is, uh how many miles is that but maybe three
1: Yeah, that's three point one miles. So yeah, and, uh, and, 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 very, oh, very oh, doable.
0: And I, I can and I can tell you that one a quarter of those trips are shorter than two kilometers. <laughs> wow. So it's just outstanding how we get in the car which has even don't even notice. I mean, we get out of the home, and then we get in the car, and we don't even notice. I mean, we've done that for the last thirty years, and we don't even notice uh, that we are going just two kilometers far away, and that's maybe a twenty or twenty-five minute uh, walk. That could also be good for our health to walk that distance. Yeah, uh, John. I mean, uh, the, the the numbers are stunning when you when you just. Uh, scratch a little bit on those numbers. And yeah, that, that, that's... And, and in Europe, we have, as I told you, more a more compact model. I, I guess the numbers in the, um, lots of you know, United States cities are just like that. I mean, that, not that many uh, trips are that long that need to be by car from a really uh, obligatory standpoint. I mean, it's not an obligation to use the car for doing those trips. Of course, there always will be, uh, calculated in the case of Seville, maybe 20% of the trips that right now, they have to be made by car. But we, we could get rid of 80% of the traffic. And by the way, that's what happened on the coronavirus crisis. That 80%, yeah, the traffic just lowered by 80%. So that landscape, that's the one maybe we can, we can go for.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you you mentioned earlier before we started recording that, of course, it's summertime and it's rather hot. So let's let's talk about that. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes people come up with all sorts of excuses. In fact, my 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 good friend uh, Chris Bruntlett with the Dutch Cycling Embassy, you know, uses this as a great you know example that folks will bring up. Oh, but it's too hot to ride, or oh, but it's too hilly, or oh, it's too cold. So there's an amazing development that has has come about recently, and that is uh, electric assist bikes and cargo bikes and all sorts of other wonderful tweaks to the amazing invention that is the bike, the cycle. Talk a little bit about that, because you have a cargo bike and you have kids. Yeah, so, so talk a little bit about that. I mean, there's huge potential for us here.
0: Well, you've uh, sort of answered uh, the question. I mean, there are lots of inventions already put in place that we could use in order to make uh, easier rides everywhere. There's no excuse. Ex- excuses. I mean, they are, as, as the name tells us, they are excuses. <laughs> so no, no more to talk about that. I mean, uh, it's uh, lots of slopes and it's really hot. For example, the other day, and I'm talking about three uh, weeks ago, I was returning from the office uh, cycling, of course, and uh, the, the uh, thermometer was 82, uh, 42 degrees Celsius. I don't know how, how much that it's in Fahrenheit, but maybe 110 or 115 or so. And we were more people cycling than, than cars in that avenue at that point. Was three in the afternoon, so you, 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 it's comfortable to bike. People are gonna are gonna cycle, no matter what, uh, no matter why. And if there are inventions and, and, and stuff that could be uh, used in order to easy use or easy cycling or or making it making it easier to cycle, people are going to use it. You know, my personal experience in, in using a cargo bike is that uh, having two small kids, I earned one and a half hour, one and a half hours every day in a daily basis. And I calculated that. I mean, how long uh, would it take me to go shopping, uh, to go to the park with the kids and everything, and how long is it taking? Is it taking it uh, right now that I have a cargo bike, and it's just one and a half hours every day? So I had time for for you know for myself or to be with the kids or whatever, and it, it was much easier, and lots of fun. well not not lots but um. Uh, some families right now in Seville are using cargo bikes, and they feel just the same. It's, uh, it's a great tool.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Now, so your little ones, are, are they uh, of age of they're starting to ride bikes now too?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, i been riding bikes from, they were three and something years old. And uh, right now we uh, go, we, we, don't, we don't have a car, actually. We don't have a family car right now. And we, we have a car, but we, we use it really rarely. And it's shared with other families. <laughs> and we use it just to go out of, of Seville. Uh, it's not in our mind to use the car in the urban space or, or in the city. It's, it's not a part of our body It's so other people. It happens with, uh, with other people. It's an extension of the arm or an extension of the, of the, of the, of the feet. For us, it's not on our mobility equation. And we are happy that way, John. I mean, that's uh, maybe one of the, of the most important points, that nothing happens if you organize your life driving less. At the contrary, you get a lot of happier. And it's much cheaper.
1: <laughs> right, right. Because
0: we save a lot of money in a monthly basis. It's stunning. <laughs> How much you can save if you don't have a car?
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing because there's so many benefits that you can return. You mentioned the joy factor. It's it's much more pleasurable. It's it's economically it's it's much uh, more beneficial to you as a family. I, I, I wanna talk a little bit about a transformation that you helped spur at your children's school. But before I do that, I just wanted to let you know that I did look up the uh, the 42 degrees Celsius and that's just about 107 degrees Fahrenheit. So yeah, that was a hot day. But the point is, is that being able to get some fresh air and you've got the wind in your face, you know, yeah, it's, it's hot and for for those individuals who maybe have a longer trip you know that that might be truly extreme but that's where the beauty of that electric assist could really make all the difference in the world and so i really do believe that uh, that that small little tweak in a nearly 200 year old invention is really going to open up the world for so many different people
0: yeah john uh, i i mean uh, i think i really think that one a really big part of the solution about sustainability as a whole is recovering somehow the human scale of what we do. And when you get electric assistance to human power, that's what we're doing. We take a piece of technology, we get a really outstanding and impressive energy source, and then we apply all that for supporting human force and human power in a context of human scale yeah it, it's not a solution to have an electric car of 300 hour uh, horsepower because it's it's never going to be efficient to make a two kilometer trip with a two uh, thousand kilo machine even though it's if it's electric and if that electricity comes from from renewables that's not efficient, and that's not sustainable. So if we're here for recovering human scale, that applies also for mobility issues.
1: I think that's a brilliant point that you just made there, because if we go back to you know, that 20% of the trips that are the so-called trips that really need to be made by a personal automobile, fine. Let's make those trips that electric vehicle. You know, let's let's make that, you know, if, if those that's are... That's the point. Yeah. Exactly. That, it, <laughs> you got point. it. So let's go back to human scale, because that's exactly one of the treatments that took place at your kid's school that you showed to me. Tell, tell that story.
0: Well, we had a really big problem at the uh, front door of, of the school. It's in the historical center. It's located there. So you have to... I have to say that around... 70-something and 80% of the kids uh, walk to school in that area. So that's really impre- an impressive uh, percentage of people. And uh, But we had a really big problem because it was some kind of a uh, crossroads, and we had lots of uh, parked uh, cars there, and it was uh, really a really huge problem of safety there. So we, uh, from, from the parents in school and the uh, teachers, we got to have some meetings with the local governments in order to propose them and uh, to make a proposal of transformation of that urban area. And what we did was to get some space from that those cars to more than double the uh, sidewalk area. and also uh, some uh, techniques te- techniques of uh, calming traffic of traffic calming were applied in that that area also. And right now, what we have, it's a really comfortable space that sort of make a transition between the uh, really uncomfortable and unsafe and urban space that the, the the kids have to cross to go to school and the other side of the front door of the school, which is heaven for them because there are no danger there. So we, we made that transition and we put some colors in it and, and it's been amazing how, how it works, because I have to tell you also that even the, the, uh, the kids that are brought to school by car, they do it in a better way and more e- efficient way right now. So it's it's even better for the parents that still bring their kids or need to bring their kids to school by car, because everything functions in a better way. So we, we got that. It was really cheap because it was also a tactical organism. And right now, it's been sort of an example for other schools all around the city. And as I told you, uh, as a result of this process that we are beginning to uh, push between the local government and some uh, technicians and some people that are professionals that are pushing in that, that, that direction, we are trying to, to get that example from our school and take it to, to many other ones.
1: Yeah and i think uh, i love this example because it it's an illustration that there's an opportunity to change this is not a situation where you know folks are be like, be like dismissive and say oh well this is just europe and oh you know amsterdam's just amsterdam and and no i mean you had to make some efforts to transform a hostile environment, which it shouldn't have been hostile, but you made some tweaks, some tactical urbanism tweaks to rehumanize that space and bring it back to human scale. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, add some fun colors to it and some treatments that made it very appealing to the kids and appealing to the parents. And clearly as a motor vehicle driver driving into that space, it's obvious that they need to slow down.
0: Yeah, uh, all the techniques were applied there in order to, uh, to get that situation where the driver just understands that it's a really strange space and he's not the uh, main presence there and they don't have the uh, right of way in any way possible so they need to stop and they need, they need to slow down and everything is designed to, to get that to get that the situation and 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 to uh, to make the drivers understand that it's not their their space that there are a lot of more people there and and it and that, and that area needs to be safe for the for the children and as you, as you said it's it's possible to do it and everything about culture and myths, about, you know, the people from the Netherlands. We, we already had that also in Seville, and we're still having a, that. Received uh, lots of critiques back in 2005 where we uh, showed the maps that we were going to do. You know, people saying that's a waste of money. We're, we, we're not the Netherlands, and we're not blondies and, 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 and blue-eyed. People and, and you know, that's not going to work here because we like to go by a car. And, and you know, the experience just demonstrates that everything that is said at that point is just myths and, and, and excuses. And another idea that I, I feel it's important is that in transformation issues, you have to search for a consensus, but it's never possible. You always are going to have. Maybe a pretty big percentage of people that are against your, transform, your transformation and think that, you know, uh, the world is going to end after that and all that stuff and giving excuses and excuses. And once the transformation is, is done, they just shut up. Where were they? Where were they? And ju- they just disappear. Yeah. that's that's my experience I mean very few moments I have felt that those guys had or were right at some point maybe with some modifications of the uh, of what you do but as a, as a whole point or general from a general view they're not right never I mean uh, they're not right and they just disappear after the uh, what you what you do what you should. Uh, I, I tell you because I tell you this because I, I feel sometimes that the uh, that opposition and that search for consensus, as a general rule, is stopping lots of transformations right now, and it's the best alibi for politicians that do not want to do anything. I mean, I don't have consensus, so I cannot do anything. That's a lie.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's almost like they're abdicating the whole concept of leadership. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right, Manu. You you may never get to 100% consensus, but at the same time, if you engage and involve the community and give people the opportunity to express their concerns, ask their legitimate questions that they might have, you know, it, because change is hard. Change is is fear-inducing by nature. And so when someone's environment starts to transform into a way that they're not familiar with, it's a scary prospect. And so we do need to make sure as change agents that we do what we can to engage and give people an opportunity to understand and express their feelings but not necessarily get to 100% consensus. So I think your point is is very well well stated there. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you wanna make sure we talk about here today?
0: No, I mean, uh, we uh, covered everything that we did in Seville. And the, uh, well, just to say to the people that if they want to know more, there are some resources at screen films, for example, webpage or or Active Towns uh, stuff, or People for Bikes, or YouTube, several very good videos about what we did in Seville. And we are also open to receive more questions or comments or whatever, or people who want to know uh, how we did it and, and how we are also improving right now. We are always open to know order to do that. And I'm really happy to be in podcasts like you, like yours. And and am really happy to see you actually, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and likewise, right back at you. What advice do you have to a listener who might be inspired from this conversation to make a difference in their own community? And you can answer this as a, a professional or you can answer this as just a community member or as a parent. But what advice would you have for them if they'd like to like to make a difference in their community?
0: Well, first of all, it's important to gather as much information as you can about other good experiences and experiences there are near your uh, near home. Maybe, for example, if you have a successful story to tell in your city about a U.S. or American city, that's really important uh, because it's always a process. To go against the myths and that idea that oh you know that happens everywhere else but not here because we are special you know that that kind of argument is consistently uh, repeated once once again and again and again everywhere i mean if you go to india they could tell you okay we are the indians the, no we, we don't get that maybe the europeans if you go to seville Or you go to Cordoba, which is a a city that's 100 kilometers far from Seville. They tell you, "Okay, but Seville is different because it's more cosmopolitan, you know, and we are not that uh, that uh, modern, and that's that's not going to work here in Cordoba." That's that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So gather as much information as you as you can. Give to the uh, local governments and the politicians. All the stuff that they need in order to to see more places to travel, maybe to those places and to see actually how they did it, then it's important to have a social movement that supports everything, because that debate that we always have it's it's better to have the power into the local government or the or the power the political power or not the social movement or or or, or clockwise. I mean, it, it's it's all complementary. We need everything, and get the uh, technicians that can help you, in order to get this done. Because they always know how to design. I to go how how we need how we can go to the small things, and small things here are important. Uh, that's where where, where the uh, technicians and the uh, the professionals need to work more um, uh, hardly to get the, uh, the, the details uh, right on the, that intersection or that signaling or that lane or that whatever, because that what makes everything work. And I mean, those are the three uh, main areas maybe, politics, uh, technique, examples, and social movement. If you get those three built at the same time, it would be very, really useful and it would be easier in order to get that transformation. And something else is that the uh, professionals do not have to be always from the transport side. We need professionals that work with people and also sociologists and anthropologists and understand those uh, scary thoughts that people have about change, as uh, you you, you said before, because that's important in order to work with the people that could be against a situation or against the transformation, to talk with them, to know how to talk with them, and to know how to uh, convince them that the situation after the transformation would be much better. We need professionals that work with people also in these processes. That would be maybe um, our, I think it was four advices. <laughs> okay.
1: Fantastic, well, what a wonderful way to, to wrap this up. Manu, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast.
0: Thanks to you, uh, John. It's been a pleasure. Always uh, talk to people in the US. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Thank you all so much for listening. Wow. It's always wonderful to hear from Manu Calvo. And I sincerely hope that you found this success story to be inspiring for what could be possible in your own community. I've included several interesting and helpful articles and videos in the show notes for you to learn more and experience, at least virtually, what it's like now to ride in Seville. And now just a quick reminder before we part ways, please don't hesitate to drop me a line if you have any feedback and or suggestions for topics or guests. My email is john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G. It's always so wonderful to hear from y'all. And finally, as always, if you are enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please, please, please help us grow the audience by telling a friend or two. Okay, that's all for episode number 39. Thanks once again for listening. Please take care of yourselves and one another. And until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers.